Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. If you'll take your scriptures in hand and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, we're continuing our series titled Refined, and uh, this is our second message. If you missed the first one, you can always go back and listen to us on YouTube or on our Facebook page. But today's message is titled Embrace the Refining Process, Embrace the Refining Process. Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India, took some of the children from the orphanage that she started and ran for many years to watch a traditional goldsmith in India. And in the middle of a charcoal fire was a curved uh, clay roof tile. And on the tile was a mixture of salt, tamarind, and brick dust. And embedded in this mixture were uh, hunks of gold ore. And as the fire devoured the mixture, it burnt off some of the, the, the stone and rock and different minerals that, were, uh, in, uh, that the gold was embedded in as gold ore, and the gold became purer and purer. And the goldsmith would take a pair of tongs, and he would take the gold out of the fire. And if it were not pure enough, he would put the, old back, the, the gold ore back into the fire, and he would put another mixture of the salt and tamarind and, and brick dust, and, and he would heat the fire a little bit more. And each time the gold was replaced, the fire was heated a little bit hotter. And the group asked, how do you know when the gold is purified? And the goldsmith replied, when I can look into it and I can see my face clearly. When I can look into it and see my face clearly. In Malachi 3.3, God is depicted as a refiner who purifies his people with the fire of affliction. Not that he sends the affliction, we know who the source of that is, right? The enemy, the same one that afflicted Job that we were talking about earlier, it was the enemy who attacked him. But God uses those things to purify us. God is seeking to refine us like precious silver and gold, and the goal is to produce his image in us. He knows when the process is complete, when he can look at us and he can see his image clearly in us. That's an amazing goal, right? And it seems even more amazing that a Christ-like character can be developed only as we pass through the fires of affliction. I didn't hear a lot of amens on that, but it's still true. Hallelujah. <laughs> Read with me, if you will, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That sounds just like us, right? We're going through the fire of all kinds of trials, and we're rejoicing and saying, Praise God. Hallelujah or oh me. All right, verse 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Why? Because if you hit a trial and you abandon God, then you didn't have real faith. Because faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Amen? So he says, this will prove if your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. 
So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And I believe that day is not in the far too distant future because of what we see happening in the Middle East. But that's another sermon for another day. But it's quite, quite unlikely that any of us would willingly choose to go through the fire of testing. There are none of us in here that would put our hand up to volunteer for the heat to be turned up on our trials. Any takers? Amen. We don't want the heat to be turned up on our trials. We, we want to be delivered from our trials. Amen. Amen. But sometimes the trials have to get hotter to burn out the impurities in our life. Paul, Peter tells us this is essential to purify our faith. And, the, and one of the primary ways that God uses to refine us, as we saw in last week's message, is that he uses the fire to purify us of sin, to produce the image of Christ in us, and to prepare us to be vessels that he can use. That's what we looked at in our last message. And again, if you missed it, go onto our YouTube channel or our Facebook page and catch up there. I believe it will be a blessing to you. But here in 1 Peter, one of the major themes is the subject of suffering in the Christian life. Peter tells us that suffering is much more than just a necessary evil of living in a sin-fallen world, but it is an essential work of God's grace to purify us of sin, to perfect us, and to strengthen our faith. And he sums up the entire book of 1 Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. He says this, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So, so we can't go to heaven and share in the eternal glory of God except through Jesus Christ. It's not through the church. It's not through religion. It's not through our good works. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? But he goes on and he says this. So after you have what? Suffered a little while. He will restore support and strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation so what's peter doing he's wrapping up his letter and this is a beautiful summation of the theme of suffering that he has discussed throughout this entire book and peter makes a definitive connection between suffering joy in this life and in eternity and sharing in god's glory in the eternal future a connection between suffering, joy, and glory. And in this message, I want us to narrow our focus on how, as Christians, we should view or think about the sufferings that we go through. The first thing I want us to see is suffering is to be expected. Trust God. It's going to come. Don't cast off your faith just because you're going through a hard time. Expect that suffering will come and trust God. So Peter is writing to Christians and he tells them, don't be surprised by suffering. You know, I've found through the years of ministry that Christians often mistakenly think that serving Christ should exempt us from suffering. Have you ever played Monopoly and you get this, you know, uh, get out of jail free card? And somehow we think that serving Christ is a get out of suffering free card. You know, that if we've placed our faith in Jesus and we're living for him, it just means that everything should, you know, come up roses all the time. We should never have a difficulty or trial in our life. And when we think that way, 
Then when trials do come, guess what happens to our faith? We're shaken. We're shaken. We question, where is God? Why has he forsaken me? How could he allow this to happen to me? Doesn't he love me? Doesn't he care about me? Why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he do something? You know, we mentioned Job earlier, and his friends made this same mistake, didn't they? First of all, they assumed that Job's prosperity was the result of his righteousness. And Job was indeed a righteous man, and God had blessed him. Because the Bible says that when we obey and honor the Lord, that his blessings will be upon us, right? So God blessed Job. But then his friends assumed that when all of this hardship hit his life, he must have done something terrible to deserve this. And that the only way out of his suffering, the only road back to blessing, was to search his heart, find out what sin was there, and repent of it. There was only one problem. God himself said of Job that he was a righteous man above all else in that day. It wasn't sin that had caused this terrible suffering. What was it? It was Satan. Satan came to God and Satan said, you know what? The only reason Job serves you is because of all of the blessings you've given him. Basically, Job, uh, Satan was accusing God that in order to get people to love you, you have to bribe them with good gifts because you're not worthy to be worshipped. And then he accused Job, because Satan, the name Satan means accuser, right? So first he accuses God, then he accuses Job. And he says, and the only reason that he's serving you and the only reason he'll keep serving you is if you keep your hand out giving him good stuff. But the minute that stuff is taken away, he's going to turn around and curse you. And so God said, Job said, give me permission to afflict him. And God said, okay, but God set limits on it, right? You can go this far, but no further. Because God will never allow us to be tested above what we're able to bear. So God will always put limits. But the, the testing, the suffering came from Satan's attack on Job's life. But his friends had erroneous thinking. They thought that a righteous person, someone who loves and serves God, should be exempt from suffering. That's what his friends thought. That's what some Christians think today. But rather than thinking that we are exempt from suffering, the Bible tells us that we ought to expect suffering because we live in a sin-fallen world that is under the power and dominion of Satan. And so Jesus said, I'm going to tell you this so that you don't get shaken when it happens. In this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have trouble in this world. And in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 13, Peter says it this way, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. He's talking to Christians. And he's saying, you shouldn't be surprised that you're going through hardship. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange has happened to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. And there it is again, the connection between suffering, joy, and eternal glory in God's presence. So Peter says, Christians, don't be surprised as if some strange thing happened when you go through hardship 
and you start thinking, oh God, why did this happen to me? How could you? He said, don't be surprised. It's going to happen. And just in case we didn't get it, he says it in different words. Don't think something strange is happening to you. Basically, don't be surprised by suffering because even Christ suffered. Folks, even Jesus suffered. Do we think we're above him? He had a perfect relationship with the Father. He loved the Father. He walked in complete obedience. And he suffered. He was the sinless Son of God. So we should view suffering as a normal and necessary part of the Christian life as we live in this sin-fallen, Satan-dominated world. A normal part of life. So what does that mean? We embrace suffering with joy. That's what Peter tells us. It's awful quiet in here, but that's okay. Go ahead and preach it, Pastor Marie. It's the word. Speak the truth to us. Amen. Looking again at 1 Peter 4.13, it says, instead, instead, that means rather than being surprised or thinking that suffering is strange, he says, instead, rejoice, rejoice. be very glad. For those trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So Peter says, don't think it's strange. Don't get shaken by the trials, but instead rejoice. And he says that we will have wonderful joy. Folks, we can be glad. We can rejoice when we suffer for righteousness sake. I'm not talking about suffering for doing something wrong. I'm talking about we're living our life for God, and yet, though, yet still we go through suffering. But we can rejoice because we, can, we understand, first of all, that we are sharing in Christ's suffering. We are suffering for his sake and for his glory, that there's a purpose that he's outworking in the midst of it. And he says we can have wonderful, or some versions say exceeding joy, as we anticipate sharing in Christ's glory in the future. One writer says the theme of 1 Peter is suffer now, glory later. Suffer now, glory later. So Peter is saying the suffering we endure now is hard. There's no diminishing it. Folks, we go through stuff on this earth that is hard. Just a few years ago, many of you know, I went through stage three cancer. Very bad prognosis from the doctors where they told me it was a very rare and aggressive cancer and they gave little hope that the treatments would work. But God. But God. So this week, as I turn 21 again, I'm celebrating seven years healed of cancer. Amen? Praise the Lord. But you know what? God didn't exempt me from cancer, but he took me through it in victory. He took me through it. He brought me out of it. Amen. And while I was going through it, he gave me opportunity. Every time I went for chemo, I was able to, I was in a room with a captive audience. Because all the people in that room were hooked up to IV. They couldn't go anywhere. So I could talk to them about Jesus the whole day from 8 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock at night. Amen. And God was touching lives. Many of them, by the time the day was over, they'd be, can you pray for me before you go? 
Even the nurse, the last day that I was there getting chemo, one of the patients said to me, please pray for me before you go. And the nurse was in uh, in her room right to the side of the chemo room, and she came running out, and she said, please include me in that prayer, and she took our hands, you know. So God was working even in the midst of that, but but let me tell you, God could not have done that if when the cancer hit me, I started, oh no, woe is me. God, how could you do this to me? God, I've served you. Then he wasn't going to get any glory, right? He wasn't going to be able to do anything if I had that kind of attitude. So we have to rejoice and we can see God at work even in the midst of the severest trials that we may go through. And God will give us the strength. He'll give us the joy. He'll give us the peace even in the midst of the trial. Amen. So we embrace our present sufferings, understanding that they are preparing for us our entrance into his eternal glory. Hallelujah. We can embrace life suffering with joy because we know that it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. So as believers, not only should we expect suffering, but we should embrace it with joy. You say, Pastor Maria, should we not pray for healing? Should we not pray? Folks, the whole time I was going through my journey with cancer, I was praying for healing. And God brought it. Amen? So I'm not saying don't pray for God to heal you. I'm not saying don't pray for God to, uh, to, to resolve whatever problem you're facing. Pray. But while you pray, trust the Lord, rejoice in him, and say, God, let your purpose be accomplished in me as I wait upon you to work a miracle on my behalf. Amen? Now, the second principle that we see in this passage in 1 Peter is suffering is limited, endure in faith. Suffering is limited, endure in faith. Looking again at 1 Peter 1, 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now, what does it say? For a little while. Underline that. Suffering is not permanent. That should have been a louder amen. Amen. Suffering is not permanent. It is for a little while. It has a beginning, and glory to God, it has an end. Amen? And God knows not to give us too much, right? He sets a limit on our suffering. Again, in 1 Peter 5.10, he says, after you have suffered, what? A while. Suffering is limited. God limits the duration of our testing. Folks, get this in your spirit, because sometimes when we're facing hardship, we think this is the way the rest of our life is going to be, and it's going to do us in. But suffering is temporary for the believer. We have to stipulate it's temporary for the believer because suffering is not temporary for the unbeliever. The unbeliever will experience unending suffering in a place of fiery torment that Jesus described and we commonly call hell. But for believers, the Bible repeatedly promises that suffering in this life and even death is temporary. It's temporary. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul writes, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Now, let me just give you a a simple illustration of that. Some of you may be in college. Some of you have probably gone through college. All right? You suffered for four years. I didn't because I love academics, but some people suffered for four years. But you know what? Those four years were short 
in comparison to the payoff of the career that you have had for many years as a result. Am I right? Well, that doesn't even compare to the glory that is waiting for us. And he says, your suffering here on earth is light and it's short compared to the reward and the glory that you will have for all eternity. Hallelujah. Our present troubles won't last very long. They are momentary. They are temporary. Peter said they're just for a little while. Now, let let me be honest. For some of us who've been going through an enduring situation for a year, For five years, or however long it may be, it may not seem like a little while for you. It may feel permanent and never-ending. Maybe you have been in a troubled marriage for years. Maybe you are stuck in a job with a demon-possessed boss, (laughs) and you see no way out of change. Or maybe... You have been battling with prolonged sickness in your body and you wonder, when will I get my healing? These things are all real. And, and for those that are facing those situations, you may be thinking right now, it doesn't seem like a little while for me, Pastor. But the assurance of Scripture is that it is temporary. It is temporary. And folks, we got to learn when we're going through trial to stand on Scripture and say, God, you said it's temporary. I know that trouble is not going to last always, like the old song said. Amen? And folks, it's temporary not only here on earth, but it is temporary. It is little and short-lived in comparison to the glory of what we're going to experience through all eternity. And folks, God sets a limit on the time of your trials. Paul reminds us of this. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. Just like the goldsmith knows how to set the temperature and not go above to destroy the gold. God knows the extent to which we can be tested without being destroyed. God is sovereign He establishes the times and the seasons, and he controls the degree of suffering. You remember how often in school when you were taking a test and the professor or teacher would say, you have one hour time limit to complete this test. And when the hour was over, pencils down, test over, right? Well, God says you have X number of days or months or years to complete this test and when the end comes you are going to have victory it's going to be over amen God sets a limit on our tests he knows just how much we can endure and he will not allow our tests to last longer than we can bear God limits not only the time but the severity of our suffering God told Satan when he wanted to attack Job, he said, I'll allow you to do this and this, but no more, no further. It reminds me, I've shared this before, but it reminds me years ago 
when I went out uh, with, we were doing uh, uh, evangelism outreach into our neighborhoods and we had invited the whole church and we went out in teams to different neighborhoods. And so our team was over here in, um, off of Pasadena Boulevard in, in Pembroke Lakes, or Pembroke Pines over here. And um, we were going, you know, door to door and we're talking to people and inviting them to church and giving them uh, gospel tracts. And we came along, we were walking on the sidewalk and then we would go into the driveway and go up to the door and we were walking along this one uh, drive, one, one sidewalk and started to go up the driveway when I noticed that the garage door was up, you know, about this much. And it was a little bit unusual and started to walk up and all of a sudden, this dog that was so huge, you could throw a saddle on it and ride it, <laughs> came racing out of the garage. Oh, oh, oh. I took off running. I could have <laughs> competed in the Olympics. I took off running so fast. And then all of a sudden I heard this chain and the barking stopped and I turned around to find the dog jerked by its neck because he was chained in the garage. So the chain only went so far it came to the sidewalk. And when I saw that, I stopped running and I squared my shoulders and I walked right on by. Folks, God's got the devil on a chain. He can go so far and no further in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lord. Sometimes the devil roars and he growls and fear strikes our heart and we want to take off running. But remember, in the name of Jesus, God says this far and no further. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Many of you sitting here today, you've been through some severe trials. But folks, the fact that you are here is a testimony of God's faithfulness. He didn't leave you. He didn't forsake you. He ended that trial and he brought you through. Hallelujah. He did not allow you to be tested beyond what you were able to bear. While you were going through it, you might have felt this is too much, God. But God knew and God gave you the strength and God gave you the grace to get through it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul says, God will never allow you to be tested above what you are able to bear. But with the test, he will always provide a way of escape. God's already got your way out prepared for you. Hallelujah to the name of the Lord. Third truth. Suffering is a process. Submit to experience the progress. Submit to experience the progress. Denise, our new women's ministry leader, uh, spoke yesterday and she shared about the death of her teenage son and the trial that he would just suddenly died. They found him in his room. He wasn't sick or anything, just found him in his room across his bed. They thought he had been sleeping, but unfortunately he had passed away. And she shared yesterday about the trial uh, that she went through. And she talked about not, not bypassing the, the process. We don't understand it when we're going through it. But God's got a process and a plan. And, and suffering is a process. And when we submit to God, then we experience progress. And God compares the process to the refining of gold and silver as it is purified by fire. So we need to trust God 
through every stage of the refining process. First, and I'm gonna walk you through some of the stages of refining gold. The refiner breaks up the rocks of gold ore. Because you know what? When gold is dug out of the ground, it doesn't look like the gold that you're wearing around your neck or on your finger. It looks like rocks. And so when they do gold mining, you know, they're down there with, with pickaxes and they're breaking up the rocks, right? The breaking of the rock is essential to start the refining process because it exposes the highly valuable metals that are in the ore. And the Lord reveals his perfect plan to purify us. He says this in Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Sometimes there are hardened areas of our heart and we won't turn to God on our own. But through suffering, those hardened places of our heart get broken up and we begin to see our need for God. So God knows that sometimes he has to allow us to go through difficult circumstances to produce that brokenness in us that will bring us to him. The next stage of the refining process is called the crucible. The refiner places the broken up pieces of rock, of, of gold ore or silver ore, in a metal container or sometimes it's a clay container, and they place it in the fire. The crucible can, ex it can endure the extreme heat, and it allows the gold ore to be heated up to high temperatures. And in the same way that the furnace is used to, to purify gold or silver in a crucible, our refiner uses the heat of trial to purify our hearts and perfect our character. The trials are the crucible in which we are placed to allow our lives to be purified. Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Third stage of the refining process is called the dross. As the heat begins to, to burn up the rock and the other minerals, it produces something called dross. It's kind of like ash. And it floats to the top of the crucible. And then the refiner comes with, with something like a scoop, and he scoops off the dross. Proverbs 25.4 says, Remove the dross from the silver, and a silversmith can produce a vessel. God wants to produce vessels in us, vessels that he can use, that he can receive glory. But those vessels have to be pure. Let me just use this kind of illustration. If you go into your kitchen to pour yourself a nice glass of lemonade or orange juice or milk or soda, are you going to take a vessel or a, 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 a cup or jar, a, a cup or glass, are you going to take it out of the sink where they're dirty vessels? Or are you going to go into the cabinet where there are clean vessels? Why? Because if you pour something good into something that's dirty, it pollutes what's good. 
God wants to pour his power. He wants to pour his glory out in us and through us. But if we are filled with the impurities of sin and fleshly attitudes of prejudice and hatred and, and pride and anger, and all, it's going to pollute what he wants to pour in us to use us to touch other people's lives. So the dross has to be removed. All of those fleshly attitudes, all of those sinful attitudes have to be removed. And it can only happen through the testing process, through the refiner's fire. Stage number four is heat. The refiner puts the, the, the gold ore through several uh, repetitions of increasing the heat. After the dross is skimmed off the surface, they heat it to a higher temperature again and again up to seven times, according to historical records. Each increase of temperature extracts more and more impurities, making the gold or silver more, poor, more pure, more gold. That's why you have things like 14 karat gold or 24 karat gold. The higher the carat, the more it has been put through the fire. Amen? The refiner knows that certain impurities can only be extracted at certain temperatures. God knows certain impurities can only be extracted through certain trials that we go through. Psalm 12, verse 6 says this, And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. That's the reheating process to burn out more and more dross to produce purer and purer vessels. Folks, he says seven times. Seven is a number of fullness and completeness in the Bible, so it may not be exactly just seven times. We may find ourselves in the trial 17 times. Hallelujah. It all depends on us. If we submit, <laughs> we get out of the fire faster, amen, if we allow God to clean us up. But it's a prolonged process. Stage five, purification. Each time the temperature is increased, another layer of, of dross forms, and it can be scooped off. With great skill and patience, the refiner removes it, leaving behind the glistening gold and silver, purer and purer with each phase. The Bible says our refiner sits over the refining process and purifies us. Job 23.10, he says, He knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. That scripture verse has special meaning for me because I remember the night I was released from the hospital after having had my surgery, I went in being told that it was benign. I came out with a diagnosis of stage three cancer. And uh, my mother was elderly. I didn't want to stress her out, so I didn't want to tell her what the doctors had said. She lived with me. Didn't want to tell her what the doctors had said. I couldn't sleep in my bed because the surgery cut me from my pelvic bone almost to my breastbone, so all of my core muscles were, were cut. So the only place I was somewhat comfortable was in my den in a recliner. And so I was sleeping there that night, not really sleeping. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, I was just there, and I was trying to cry quietly so that my mother wouldn't hear me from where she was sleeping, and the tears were just flowing down my face. It was very trying when you get a di diagnosis like that. And all I could do in the midst of tears was to pray in the Spirit. The Spirit took over and began to pray with me in other tongues. And I was just praying softly in the Spirit. And all of a sudden, I heard a voice that says, He knows the way that you take. And when He has tested you, He will bring you forth as gold. And then that voice said, Did you hear me? When the test is over, he is going to bring you out. He is going to bring you out. This is not going to destroy you. He's going to bring you out. And I'm telling you, a peace came over. 
my soul. And never again did that fear fill my heart. Because God gave me a word that he was going to bring me out. Folks, he's given you a word. We may be tested, but he says that when the test is over, he's going to bring you out. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Hold your seat. Stage six, the reflection. The reflection. The refiner knows the process is complete only when he sees a clear reflection of his image. Then the gold and silver has attained the highest degree of purity to where it's almost like a mirror. You can see a clear reflection. Romans 8, 28 and 29 tells us that God is working in all things. Turn to your neighbor and say all things. Turn to your other neighbor and say all things. All right, now notice something. He didn't say, he didn't say God is working in the good things. He says he's working in all things. That's even the trial that you're going through. It's the sickness in your body. Amen. It's the problem in your marriage. It's the problem that you're in all things. If we surrender our life to him, if we trust him, he will work in all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And what is that purpose? He goes on to tell us that we may be perfected into the image of Christ. See, what we're going through is the refining process. And the purpose is to perfect the image of Christ in us. And God knows the testing is done when he can look and see a clear image of himself in us. Hallelujah. Now this, I want you to get this in your spirit. Write it down. If you've got shoe polish, you've got lipstick, whatever you've got, write it down. Don't abort the progress by trying to avoid the process. Don't abort the progress by trying to avoid the process. Because we all would like to avoid the process. Amen? Trouble comes and we're looking for the easiest way out. And we're praying, God, deliver me and do it now. We don't like the process of refinement. It can be painful, it can be difficult. We often try to escape it, but it is essential. And we need to trust God and we need to remain faithful in the fire. Yeah. Going back to 1 Peter 5.10, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a while, he will restore. Hallelujah, he's gonna restore you, church. He will support you. He's gonna be underneath you, holding you up. He's gonna strengthen you, hallelujah. And he will place you on a firm foundation. What is that firm foundation? It is a faith that is like solid rock. So the next time a trial comes, it can't move you, hallelujah. God has guaranteed that he will be with us through the process. And not only will he be with us, he guarantees the outcome if we continue to trust in him. He will restore, he will support, he will strengthen, and he will place us on a firm foundation. And he will enable us to share in Christ's eternal glory. As I close, there's a song titled, It Will Be Worth It All. I love music. Music is locked up inside of me. But there's a breakdown in communication when I try to let it out my mouth. I make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It may not be very pleasant to other people, but the Lord loves a joyful noise. Amen. 
But since it's a joyful noise that may scare you away, I'm not going to sing this song. I'm just going to share the lyrics. Amen. But it says this. Sometimes the day seems long. Our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away. All tears forever over on God's eternal day. And the chorus says this. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Folks, it's going to be worth it all when we see Jesus. Amen? Because God loves us. And he's purifying us to produce the image of Christ in us. He is preparing us to be a vessel that he can use on this earth. And he is perfecting us to make us ready for heaven. How many of you want to go to heaven? Go Folks, the way to heaven is through the fire. You've got to trust Jesus and walk with him through the fire. Amen. 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 He is preparing us to be a vessel he can use in this life. And he is perfecting us to make us ready for heaven. So he tells us that we need to expect that we're going to go through the refiner's fire. We need to embrace the process. And we need to say, God, have your way in me. Have your way in me. The first step to becoming like Christ. The first step to fulfilling God's purpose for your life. And the first step to ensuring your heavenly home in God's presence for eternity is to come to Christ in faith, repent of our sins, and place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today, and you cannot say with absolute assurance, I'm saved, my sins are forgiven, and I know that if this were my last day, I would go to heaven, because Jesus has washed me clean of all of my sins. And he has brought me into relationship with God as a son or daughter. If you can't say that with full confidence to say, I know that I am right with God and I'm ready for heaven. Then today I'm speaking to you. God is speaking to you. And he's saying, come, come to me. Repent of your sins so that you can be forgiven. Place your faith in Jesus so that you can have a relationship with me. And you can claim heaven as your eternal home. If you're here today and you can't say with confidence that you are right with God and ready for heaven, what you would like to, and you would say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to come to Jesus. Or maybe you came to him at one time and you've drifted away and you know you need to come back. And so if you would say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to come back to Jesus. If you fit into either of those groups, pray for me, Pastor. I want to come to Jesus or come back to Jesus. Would you just slip your hand up? And you can put it right back down. Thank you for that hand. Is there someone else? Pray for me, Pastor. Thank you for another hand. Is there someone else? Praise the Lord. Thank you for another hand. Is there anyone else? Just slip your hand right up. You can put it. Thank you for another hand. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask those of you that raised your hand to say a simple prayer with me. You're not joining a church. You're not joining a religion. None of that saves you. You're coming to Jesus. And I just want you to say this simple prayer with me in faith. It's not my words, but God's going to hear your heart. 
And as long as your heart is sincere, he's going to do exactly what you ask him to do. And church, pray this along with me to encourage those that are praying it for the first time. Would you pray this prayer, dear Jesus? I believe that you are the Son of God. And I believe that you love me so much that you died for my sins. Today, I repent. I turn away from all of my sin. And I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. And I invite you to come live inside of me and help me from this day forward to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. If you prayed that prayer, I want to congratulate you on making the best decision of your life. And I welcome you to the family of God. Amen. But that prayer is a beginning, not an end. We want to help you to continue in your journey with the Lord. That's the beginning of your relationship with God. We want to help you to grow in that relationship by sending you free of charge a little e-booklet that will help you to understand the prayer you just prayed and the next steps to take to keep growing in your faith. But in order to send that booklet to you, we need your email address. So if you wouldn't mind, just text your email address. If you prayed that prayer, just text your email address to the number on the screen so that we can send that to you. But once again, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. You just made the best decision of your life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, for those of us who have already accepted Jesus, you may find yourself right now in the fiery furnace of trial. You may be going through trial after trial. I want to ask you a question. What is it that God is needing to purify? What is it that God is needing to change in you? Will you ask God to identify that and then surrender and say, God, do it. Change me. Take that out of my life. Will you embrace the work of his refining fire and say, God, do whatever you need to do in me to make me who you want me to be. I surrender myself to you. I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right where you are. If you're going through a trial right now, it's a good time to say, God, what is it in me that you need to change? What is it in me that you need to purify? Take a moment in the quietness and hear what God is saying to you. Sometimes we're so noisy, we don't stop to hear what God is saying. Listen right now, because God is speaking to some of you. For some of you, it's pride. For some of you, it's anger. For some of you, it's worldly ambition. For some of you, it's unforgiveness. For some of you, it's bitterness, resentment. Whatever it is, as God speaks it to your heart, let's take a moment to repent of it, surrender it to God, and say, God, change me in this area. I can't change myself, but I invite you to do it. I surrender to you. Do whatever you need to do in me. Take a moment, church, and invite him to work in you. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you right now. Let your spirit speak. To our hearts. If we're in the midst of a fiery furnace, what is it that you need to refine in us? Speak to us right now. 
And Lord, as you speak it to us, we receive it with an open heart. We don't resist it. And as you speak to us, we repent. And we say, yes, Lord, you're right. I have that in my life. And I need you to change me. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you right now. Let your spirit have his way in me. Let your spirit have his way in each of us. Cleanse us, purify us, get all the junk of the world and the flesh out of us, Lord God. And make us that pure and holy church, that pure and holy people that you are calling us to be. Do it by the power of your Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you. And we hope you will join us again.